This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 234, Comic Talk Spotlight on Alias. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans, I'm your host Adam Chapman, this is episode 234, it's our Comic Talk Spotlight on Alias. Um, so... Just to give a little bit of background, Alias is uh, not the Jennifer Garner TV series, but in fact, the um, relatively short-lived, uh, just over two years uh, in terms of comic issues, um, series by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Guido Sonart, which was originally re- started being released in 2001. It uh, was originally part of the Marvel Max line, which is long since defunct now, but at the time, Marvel Max was a place where... Um, kind of were, like Marvel Knights originally when it started was kind of uh, almost out of continuity but not really out of continuity but able to be a little bit more violent a little bit more street level and Max was kind of taking that to the to the next level where now you had characters that could curse you could have nudity that you saw in Supreme Power by J. Michael Straczynski um, more adult themes and more adult content um, but really what it was also supposed to be is it, it was kind of it was allowed to be in current continuity, as in the case of Alias, but it couldn't really have main characters. Like, because of the level of violence uh, that they could have, or the level of sexuality that they could and at times did have, or and the, and the level of language, um, the actual kind of big-ticket characters that would show up in this book would be relatively minor. Um, and I say relatively, because there were some characters that definitely kind of had a, a bigger place in the Marvel Universe, but, and I, and I think that's part of why the book only lasted, you know, just over two years in terms of, or just over 24 issues. I think it went to about issue, I'm trying to remember exactly how far it went, um, I believe it went to issue 26 or so, um, I'm, I'm actually looking at the omnibus right now, alias number uh, 28 was the last issue, so it went just over two years, um, and when it ended, it kind of got folded into the Marvel Universe proper in the Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley illustrated, um, excuse me, the short-lived, well, not short-lived, but Pulse, uh, a relatively short-lived book that went, I think, what, 14, maybe 16 issues. Um, now, it's interesting to go back because, obviously, with Marvel, you know, having uh, inked their Netflix deal, where they're producing, you know, five different television series about a year apart from each other, starting with Daredevil, uh, then having um, AKA Jessica Jones. It's interesting to kind of go back and look at the beginnings of this character, who, for as long as Bendis has kind of been around, was a pretty big character for him. I mean, it's interesting to look at the fact that, you know, she was a, uh, originally a private eye. Uh, operating this kind of the seedy underbelly of the Marvel Universe. Uh, in the original pitches, as Brian Michael Bendis has said in interviews, originally the character was supposed to be Jessica Drew. It was not. It was supposed to be the original Spider Woman, um, which is not surprising given his kind of affinity for the character, given how she would be a, a big part of his New Avengers run and later Secret Avengers. Sorry, I meant Secret Invasion. Um, but a big part of what he was doing there to kind of bring Spider Woman into the Avengers and make her more of a kind of a iconic character because she'd never really had been that even though she had such an iconic name so this series was originally supposed to be about her uh, operating as a private eye because that was her job in the marvel universe and then um i don't know i I can't remember the exact reasons why he wasn't able to use her maybe part of it was because of the max format 
uh, what they what he kind of wanted to do with the character. So it ended up, or maybe she was just unavailable. But he ended up creating this new character known as Jessica Jones, and they named the book Alias. Now it's a shame that the TV series can't be called that because of. Uh, I guess any potential connection to the Jennifer Garner series, but that series is long gone. I think it ended in what, 2004. So I don't think many people are likely to make that connection anymore. Anyways, Marvel to kind of capitalize on the fact that Jessica Jones is going to be, um, you know, a character in the expanded MCU as part of the Netflix uh, TV series. Uh, they've recently re, uh, re-released the Pulse series as the complete Just Jessica Jones collection of Pulse. Um, which, ironically, is missing one issue. But I guess, really, it was an issue that had nothing to do with Jessica Jones. It was uh, an issue of House of M um, that uh, Pulse was part of, which was actually all about Hawkeye anyway. Um, and so in that collection, uh, which is a, a big soft cover, um, you get to see how Jessica Jones starts working for the Daily Bugle, uh, works with Ben Urich, uh, her expanded relationship with Luke Cage. She's pregnant as the series begins. Um, and eventually leading her through to having the baby and getting married to Luke Cage in, the I think, one of the new Avengers annuals. So it's interesting that they have that, and they've also just recently brought back into print one of, a long, long out-of-print uh, omnibus of the original Alias collection, um, which was amongst, I think, the first omnibuses or on the buy that were ever actually published by Marvel Comics. Um, it's interesting to go back and look at the, um, the on the buy that were first originally uh, released by Marvel Comics because you think that you know they're all gonna kind of be the most iconic collections, um, the ones that of the you know kind of biggest import. But if you actually look at it, they started the first one was published in 2005, so now about 10 years ago, and it was the first volume of Fantastic Four which collected like the first 30 issues of the classic Stanley and Jack Kirby run. And the second omnibus they ever created, none other than Alias. And it's kind of interesting that this series, which you know ran basically till 2003 or 2004, um, was within a couple of years already getting its own omnibus. In the intervening years, it got its own uh, Ultimate Collection, which collected the entire series over two large trade paperbacks, and now it's finally come back into print as an omnibus. It's interesting to me that of all the stuff Marvel's ever printed in the omnibus, of which there's been some really big stuff, the that was the second kind of go with the kick of the can. Um, I'll just allow me a, a quick tangent here. The third omnibus was The Eternals. Um, which was relatively short, 19 issues, but for an omnibus, relatively short at 392 pages. The fourth was New X-Men by Grant Morrison, which was uh, eventually reprinted in 2012. And then the fifth one is, I mean, besides Fantastic Four, the other most iconic, which was the Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, which was um, the beginning of the relaunch of X-Men by... um, you know, uh, Chris Claremont, John Byrne, etc., up to issue 131. And then the sixth one was Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, which is obviously an extremely important volume, which eventually would be reprinted as well, which I now have myself. And then um, after that, you had like, the Amazing Spider-Man volume one, which is the entire Steve Ditko run. Then it was the original Silver Surfer. Then the second Fantastic Four volume two. 
Uh, it's just interesting that to look at you know the first like ten omnibuses and how many of them were like these really iconic things, and then the second thing is Alias, the most modern of them all, even even more modern than uh, than uh, New X Men by Graham Morrison. Just interesting, that's all. So I want to talk about Alias and and the portrayal of the Jessica Jones character because I've recently had the opportunity once the new omnibus came out to kind of go back and reread it. And um, I, it had been many years since I'd read it, and I still think it's quite a great story, um, especially just over the course of the 28 issues that, you know, you really get a good encapsulation of the character. But at the same time, it's so mind-blowing because the character is nothing like this anymore. Like, it's interesting that Bendis creates this really full-fledged, uh, you know, uh, multi-dimensional character, uh, imbues her life with so much you know, pathos and sadness. And then when he ends this book, when we pick up Jessica Jones next and she transitions over into, um, into Pulse, in a lot of ways she feels like a different character. Um, like her rawest, um, toughest spots are all ironed out. And then once Bendis puts, you know, has her get married and have a child, she's never again the same character that she used to be. She... At times, it's really almost tragic for the character because she at times uh, becomes more of a, um, a character who seems at odds with Luke Cage and his desire to be a hero and trying to be almost... I, I understand the idea that he's trying to you know, create this character and, and make her kind of become more motherly and go through all these experiences in her life that an actual person, someone who had been a superhero, would go through and actually come through it as a changed human being. But it's just interesting because it feels like he takes the, the most um, fascinating and flawed aspects of the character and kind of rubs them away and files them away until she almost becomes unrecognizable from what made her so identifiable and so unique in the first place. I mean, when the first issue of Alias that you read, even the first word, you get the first panel just says Alias Investigations, and the first thing that that you read is, is fuck. And it, it's kind of a establishment of, you know... This is a Marvel Max book. This is a, a book that's going to have language. Um, just on that first page alone, you have fuck. This is fuck. God fucking damn it. And you're reading used to reading comic books, which have at most PG plus language. And this is a, a very harsh um, kind of right 90 degree turn away from that. Or not even 90 degree. Like a complete about face from everything that you're used to in comics. And in fact, I will say that I think that at times Bendis feels like he is using the language as a crutch as opposed to a developmental angle. Um, like he's trying at times to um, shock the reader, and at times I think he's using it to try and cover up his actual use of language and characterization, which is only interesting because he's usually such a great you know, kind of master of characterization and using the flaws of language. And I think when he's able to use swearing, it just feels lazy, uh, as opposed to him coming up with new ways to kind of show the realities of human speech, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Just because usually he has such such depth, especially when he's doing Ultimate Spider-Man, even if he has a lot of ums and ahs and pauses, it feels organic to the characters. But here he uses the overabundance of swearing and language and I, I to be honest I just think it is distracting from what he could be doing um, 
the first arc is a very kind of interesting story which tells you what you kind of what year this was taking place in that it's much more kind of hard-boiled uh there's some political intrigue this is back when captain america's you know identity wasn't well wasn't known it's back when the avengers were kind of part of the un it's pre-avengers disassembled it's before so many things have happened seeing the way that luke cage is even portrayed in this first arc and um you know, it, it, it's if you've been reading comics since the New Avengers era, this is going to kind of be a, a shock to the system because this isn't the Luke Cage you're used to reading. This is a, a much rougher Luke Cage who has not, you know, softened out the way he would eventually do so under Bendis's um, pen. Um, having, you know, the, the first arc is a really good example of. You know what it's like to be a former hero of some kind in the Marvel universe, kind of struggling against any um, preconceptions or preconceived notions of what that might be. Um, you know how you might be kind of thrown under the bus, uh, or you know your involvement might be, um, you know, kind of pre not pre predicated, but the idea that you might be involved in something just because you have powers and. What, you know, maybe it's much more complicated. Um, it's a really interesting arc about, you know, just the seat, the, the seat of your underbelly and what it will take and uh, the violence that is inherent here as well. Um, the first arc also makes sure that it's known that uh, Carol Danvers is a friend of Jessica Jones as well, uh, although at, at times they're more kind of at odds with each other. Um, what I like also is that we don't get a total sense of who Jessica Jones was as a hero, as Jewel, until much later on in the series. In fact, we're slowly kind of discovering more about it um, as Jessica's kind of able to understand and reflect on her own history herself. Like, she's very much kind of living kind of this crappy life that she's living. Uh, the second major arc involves her kind of looking for Rick Jones um, because this woman comes up saying, you know, I'm married to Rick Jones. I can't find him. Are you are you related to him because you share a last name? Um, she's trying to find Rick Jones, uh, find someone who she thinks is Rick Jones, um, and it's, it's really just quite interesting to kind of see. And then the idea that the real Rick Jones is, you know, somewhere else completely, and he's fine. And um, you know, the whole whole thing was kind of a this guy thinking he was Rick Jones, thinking he was tied up with scrolls and all this other stuff. It's interesting to see how early Bendis is starting to use the ideas of scrolls having taken over people's lives as well, because that's a, a pretty big thing here as well. Also, you have um, a whole element here with J. Jonah Jameson really not liking Jessica Jones. In fact, he uh, he hires her to find out who Spider-Man is, and he kind of she kind of messes around with Jameson. Um, we see a lot of text pieces here that Bendis kind of going on long diatribes, which. He would do so at times in this more often than he would otherwise. Um, I think issue 11 starts an arc where it's all about a small town in upstate New York where this woman is, has disappeared, um, this young girl, and so Jessica's brought in to kind of investigate and try and find her. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the father's kind of a beaten out man and who's kind of drinks a little and he loves his daughter but doesn't know what happened to her and the mother doesn't seem to really care about her but now is wondering where she is 
it's you know possible that she was a mutant. This small town hates mutants, and Jessica kind of gets a weird kind of um, rela sexual relationship with the sheriff in town. Um, she's put off by the fact that this small town is very much against like mutants, and it's all full of mutant haters. Um, this girl was actually quite um, uh, talented as an artist, and it's, it's actually quite an interesting story about kind of this girl and. It takes kind of a tragic turn with the girl's father being murdered by, by um, um, you know, the, the mother's family. And then it turns out that the girl had run away because she didn't want to live in their small town life anymore because she wanted to, you know, go be with her, you know, where people were more open-minded and meet, a, you know, and she was, she wanted to experiment with her sexuality. She fell in love with a girl. It's really quite a story. And at the end, we have Jessica start a, a, a ill-fated relationship with Scott Lang as well um, which I had forgotten about because it's been so long since Scott Lang mattered to anyone um, what I liked about issue I think 15 of the series is that it reminds you of what era it's coming through is that it's back when Bendis is writing Daredevil uh, Daredevil was dealing with his identity being outed so at the time he had hired Jessica Jones and, and Luke Cage as his bodyguards uh, there's actually a great crossover scene where Black Widow shows up, which actually is depicted in the uh, Daredevil comics. So I like that Bendis is playing with that and having scenes happen in both comics as uh, Luke and uh, Jessica talk about you know, their interaction in the first issue where they did hook up. And then when she thought kind of her life was falling apart in the first arc, she goes to Luke in the middle of the night, freaks out that he's kind of got another girl there. And it's the idea that you know, they, they don't ask it for anything else. And it's, it's funny to see because, you know... It, they talk about the idea of sexuality for superheroes and, you know, Jessica and Car Carol thinks that Luke Cage is a cape chaser. But really, if all your friends and co-workers are superheroes, you're probably going to end up sleeping with another superhero. In this case, they're talking about She-Hulk. Um, and again, it's weird to see them using language because uh, you're used to comics not usually being that vulgar. So having Luke Cage talking about She-Hulk and saying, you know, oh, you've obviously never fucked her it's a little weird because we're used to these kind of being these more PG fantasy characters although obviously there's always an element of sexuality obviously in the costumes and all this kind of stuff it's always weird to see it kind of mentioned so brusquely um, or so matter of factly although I guess if anyone was to do so it would be Luke Cage and then uh, we have this great sequence where uh, Ant-Man, Scott Lang and uh, Jessica Jones just have a date and it's Actually, really interesting to kind of read what their backgrounds are, um, how what they were like as characters, and it's actually really nicely uh, illustrated by Gaidos as well. And he really imbues Scott Lang with a certain feeling that I don't think he gets many other places. Um, although I gotta say, one of my favorite Scott Lang stories is around this era in Avengers when Jeff Johns briefly was writing Avengers, and that's. Uh, I think Gary Frank did the art on this beautiful issue where it was kind of a Jack of Hearts slash Scott Lang focus. And uh, it, was, it doesn't sound like it would be that interesting, but it actually really is. Um, the next arc of Alias was, actually ends up bringing in Jessica Drew, but uh, also brought in the Maddie Franklin character of Spider, uh, Spider Girl. And actually, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm, I was always sad for what it did to kind of the Maddie Franklin character, because I don't necessarily think she needed to be manipulated and, 
and so many bad things had to happen to her. But it was an interesting story, and it really kind of brought forth the idea that of um, mutant growth hormone or MGH, which Bennis had really been pushing in Daredevil as well. So we see it again. His two main street level books at this time were Alias and Daredevil. So we're seeing MGH becoming more and more of an issue. And here, Maddie Franklin, they're actually kind of using her body um, to kind of scrape, like basically create MGH right out of her body, which is really disturbing. Um, there's a whole great sequence here where Jameson obviously starts to come around to Jessica Jones, but not here. Here he thinks that she might be involved in some way in what's been going on. She was just going to him to kind of ask questions about Maddie because she had seen her walk into her apartment and then fly out the window and go, you know, and it was a really messed up thing. So she's really just trying to act on her best behalf. Uh, she tries reaching out to find out more information about Maddie Franklin. Um, she can't seem to find anything. She goes to visit with um, Madam Webb, and that doesn't go very well either. Um, although it's interesting that Madam Webb tells her that her language is a mask, because I would say at times it's a mask for the writing at this time. Uh, there's a great you know, series of segments where um, Matt Murdock and uh, Jessica Jones have a kind of walk together, which, again, I think was reflected in the main Daredevil book at this time. And then the idea that... Um, Jessica's, you know, doing private eye work, trying to find out more information about uh, where Maddie Franklin is. She dolls herself up, goes to this club to try and find her, finally is able to kind of find her, and then uh, ends up kind of going up against some MGH-taught kind of messed up uh, thugs and gets beaten up, thrown out pretty badly, ends up uh, running into Ben Urich, who is kind of looking for her. And... um, Again, really good stuff. When she eventually gets back to her place, she gets uh, wiped out by Jessica Drew, who's come back to town. She A message was left for her by Jessica Jones because she was trying to find out more information on Maddie and her known associates. Uh, and then this kind of the, the struggle to find out more about Maddie Franklin and find her. Uh, Marla Jameson plays a part. Uh, you have Jessica Jones and Jessica Drew going together. There's a, a really hilarious seg- segment with Speedball. Um, Bendis really doesn't give Speedball a lot of credit at all and plays him very much like a joke. Um, throughout the series, one thing I haven't mentioned is that at times we'll have flashbacks to Jessica Jones as Jewel. We start to get these glimpses of her against the Defenders and and the Avengers, and it's all by Mark Bagley, and it's really interesting to kind of see as we don't really know what's happened to her in the past or what stopped her superhero career, but we're starting to get some ideas of what was going on. Um, Jessica Jones is eventually able to save Maddie Franklin and bring her back to Jameson, which I guess is what establishes, eventually establishes them being able to kind of turn a corner in, in that professional relationship, which would then lead into Pulse. We then get to actually learn more about Jessica Jones. We're up to issue 22 now, so it's two years in. We still don't know a lot about the character. And then we have these great series of flashbacks where we see that Jessica Jones was in love with Peter Parker and uh, even went to the science exhibit, and it's all kind of done in a Steve Dickowish style. She sees him get bitten by a spider. Doesn't actually see the spider, but she sees him react to it and then leave. And then she kind of leaves herself and... Uh, She's able to, you know, she gets saved by almost, uh, because she wasn't watching where she was going. She almost got hit by um, 
a truck with radioactive material. We see her, and again, it's very mature. Like she's at home in her bed, and she's seen like she's turned down by Johnny's dorm. She may be doing some things in her bed that you would not usually see in comics. Her and her family take a bit of a trip. Um, there's a kind of a military um, vehicle there. They end up skidding, going half underneath this military vehicle. This hazardous material bursts into the car. They go, you know, shooting off a guardrail. The car flips and explodes, and she wakes up later on uh, during the Battle of Galactus. She survived. Uh, but her entire family is dead. She ends up kind of going into, um, you know, foster care. She eventually goes back to Midtown High about a year later. She's really acting out, starting to, you know, swear at people. Peter, who's now Spider-Man, tries to kind of see how she's doing and tell her, you know, that she feels bad and she understands being, an, he understands being an orphan. She really doesn't want to, you know, kind of understand that or react to that. She starts running and realizes now she can fly, ends up kind of fly, you know, very difficult to kind of fly, gets saved by Thor at one point. She's trying to understand how this is happening to her and how now she, you know, actually has super a little bit of super strength and flight and invulnerability. At one point she actually takes out the scorpion and maybe she could be a hero. And it's interesting to kind of see this kind of more naive version of Jessica Jones because it's, we're just not used to seeing it. Um, and then we see um, in the future, like her dealing with stuff, which if you know how the series goes, you can kind of see earlier hints that she's going to be pregnant, but you don't really know it at the time. Um, as we have Jessica Jones being invited to this group about the Zebediah Kilgrave, and we learn that she has some sort of history with purple man and how she's going to feel about it she also meets up with luke cage has more kind of uh is able to kind of stay with him for a while and she's kind of trying to deal with stuff she's trying to explain to luke cage because he doesn't actually know the full story and this is where we actually get to kind of see more of jessica jones as jewel trying to be a hero trying to be a superhero um she encounters uh zebedah kilgrave and he kind of manipulates her and she ends up she ends up being under his thrall um you know he does a lot of terrible things she they never actually he never actually had sex with her but he would you know torment her make her watch what everything else he does you know make her her his living slave and eventually he gets so mad and and um has such a rant that he's like i want you to go find daredevil i want you to kill him I want you to rip him apart. I want you to go, to go over to Avengers Mansion and kill him. So Jessica Jones goes flying over to, you know, Avengers Mansion, sees someone in red. She's just filled with rage because that's what Purple Man wants her to be. She, like, you know, really beats the crap out of uh, Jessica Jones, uh, sorry, um, Scarlet Witch. Then she starts to understand what's going on. She sees the Defenders are there as well. There's the full Avengers and Defenders uh, roster. She, like, fl- freaks out and flies out. And then she gets... You know, the, the Thor's hammer comes down on her. She's barely able to avoid it. But then you have, you know, Iron Man, Vision, an enraged Vision, who's the husband at this point of Scarlet Witch. Uh, at least we think it's led to assume that that's the way it was. Uh, Namor, Hulk, so for sure for their goal up there. And they all just lay into her before she realizes what's going on. So she's put into a coma. 
uh, Jean Grey then tries to kind of go inside her mind and help her and ease her out. And when she's finally eased out, they kind of, you know, wanted her to join S.H.I.E.L.D. and maybe be an Avenger. Um, but she's a very changed person from everything that she had to deal with. We see the beginnings of her relationship and uh, correspondence with Clay Quartermain, who we then ends up being an ex-boyfriend of hers by the time we get to later on in the story. We have the first real cementings during the storyline of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage actually being starting to really be friends and not just fuck buddies, really. Um, as, you know, she's able to con- kind of confide in Luke and, you know, actually be comforted by him as well. And we see the more nurturing aspects of Luke Cage, so they're already kind of softening both characters. As uh, we then have Jessica going to visit Purple Man to kind of be able to get some closure for herself and also find out for more information for these families. Uh, Purple Man ends up being able to escape, and then we have Jessica Jones actually being, like, you know, scared for her life and, you know, trying to escape, trying to figure out what's going on, try to go hide with Scott Lang. Um, at one moment, it looks like Scott Lang is dead because of Purple Man, which is super screwed up. Um, and it's really just interesting to see how Purple Man is reinvented as really being one of the scariest people in the world uh, because of what he can do. Like, often his abilities would just be used as a way of kind of being tongue-in-cheek. Or, like, you know, a lot of a lot of writers would kind of make it sillier. But here, Bendis really goes super serious with it. And finally, Jessica Jones is able to kind of break the compulsion and beat the crap out of him on her own. And she's able to kind of turn a turn a, a, a corner here and then this is where kind of the book ends where she breaks up with uh, Scott Lang says you know she's pregnant and it's not his kid so he takes off and then she tells uh, Luke Cage that she's having a baby and he just says alright then new chapter and that's it and then you're at the end of uh, Alias so I, I've recapped most of the series but um, if you have a chance to read it it's definitely worth doing so so is the uh, what if Justin Good Jones joined the Avengers what if one shot uh, which is really quite as interesting as well to see kind of what could happen if they went a different route. And um, it's very interesting to see her being a lot happier in some ways. Like, it's interesting to see any what-ifs where the outcome is kind of happier than the core reality. Because usually that's just not the way they go. But here, she actually does end up with kind of a happy ending, married to uh, Steve Rogers. That being said, at the time this was done, it was before she ever joined the New Avengers. And because obviously it kind of invalidates this because she had ended up joining the Avengers anyway. And plus she'd end up getting married and having a kid with Luke Cage anyway. So it's just kind of interesting to see how that all ended up working out um, based on where they would go with it later, which is interesting. Uh, anyways, um, so I guess that's a, that's our, our episode. Um, thank you for joining me for episode 234. This has been my focus, my comic talk spotlight on uh, the uh, Brian Michael Bendis written Alias series. I definitely think it's worth worth reading and worth giving a look. Maybe at some point I'll uh, pick up the uh, complete Jessica Jones Pulse collection and do a, a talk on that as well. Um, the character's about to you know hit in a big way next year in 2016. And I guess, I don't know if they've said for sure if she'll show up in Daredevil or not, but um, I think she is, but I'm not sure about that. But at the, any rate... 2016 and be able to watch the uh, aka Jessica Jones uh, Marvel television series on Netflix so if you want to kind of get an idea of who the character is and was in the comics um, and what you might be in store for on the TV series it might be worth uh, giving a check um, you know checking it out giving it a read 
So if you want to email me, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, and also uh, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Thanks again for uh, watching, for, for watching, for listening to this episode, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>